Thanksgiving theme got me thinking about the, um, the holiday and the reality that um, a lot of people are dreading Thursday. Um, maybe they're dreading Thursday uh, because they're going to try to pull off a big meal for the first time that they've never had to try before. Maybe they're dreading Thursday because they know how well their mother is going to execute that big meal. Maybe they're dreading Thursday because there's somebody they don't particularly want to see around the table. But for some people, uh, they're dreading Thursday because it's going to be a reminder that uh, things are not as they wish that they were in their family, in their lives. Um, and, uh, and Thanksgiving is sort of a warm-up to that. Oftentimes people uh, who find the holidays difficult really feel that it hits home at Christmas time. And so one of the things that New Hope and St. Hilda's are doing together this year is we're hosting a blue Christmas service. It's going to be the Saturday before Christmas, uh, 5 o'clock, uh, New Hope and St. Hilda's together. And that's a service that's specifically designed to serve people for whom the holidays are a difficult time. And... Um, so I'd invite you to do as you, uh, you know, as you talk maybe this week with people at work or people in your neighborhood uh, about Thanksgiving uh, or maybe afterward, if you get kind of a vibe from them that this was not the easiest time, maybe this would be a good opportunity for you to invite them uh, to come to this service. We're going to have as our guest preacher a guy named Chaz Howard. Chaz uh, is the chaplain at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, native Baltimorean, a great guy. He's uh, got a, a new book, a uh, devotional book out uh, called what, Pond, River, Ocean, Rain. Um, he just, he's, a, he's a very wise old soul, and, uh, and, and I like him a lot. So I um, want to encourage you to, to think about that in terms of um, not only your own schedule around that time, but also how you might be able to, uh, to serve and invite people around you. Well, we're almost done with our series on David. Joe's going to wrap us up next week, but, uh, but today we're in 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22 also shows up in slightly modified form in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 18. And this is, in a sense, kind of the wrap-up of the story of David. There's a, a few other events that come after this. Uh, a uh, little account of David's mighty men and the cool things they did and how he responded to that. And then there's this sad story about the census, how David secures the land for the temple. And, and then Joe will give us the conclusion next week. But, but there's a sense in which I think the author is trying to wrap up this story of David by giving David his own voice and his own opportunity to speak his experience of his life. And it's an experience of knowing God to be his strength, knowing God to be a strong deliverer. We read that David sang to Yahweh the words of the song when Yahweh delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, Yahweh is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. From violent men you save me. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called to the Lord, 
I called out to my God. From His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came to His ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The fountains of the heavens shook. They trembled because He was angry. Smoke rose from His nostrils. Consuming fire came from His mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. God parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under His feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. Yahweh thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows. He scattered the enemies. Bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the seas were exposed. The foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of Yahweh, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. He reached down from on high, and he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted confronted me in the day of my disaster, but Yahweh was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David talks here about having to be rescued from from violent men in verse 3 and then again speaks in verse 18 about his powerful enemy. But but the language that he uses is so much bigger. He describes himself as being wrapped around in the cords of the grave. And then he describes the power that God is able to exert in the most huge cosmic ways imaginable. With the earth trembling and shaking, heavens parting, darkness, God's canopy around him. God is described here both in terms of the greatest natural phenomena you could imagine, you could have experienced, but also in terms of the greatest natural phenomena you could experience in terms of what is there, what is solid. Both the things you experience in, in, in the weather and the things that you would know. The things like rocks, mountains, strongholds. This is how David describes God. This is how David experiences God. And this God is powerful to save David from these violent men and from death itself. This is the kind of power that God has. Skipping ahead to 29, David says, You are my lamp, Yahweh. The, Yahweh turns my darkness into light. And with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of Yahweh is flawless. He's a shield for all who take refuge in Him. For who is God beside Yahweh? And who is the rock except our God? It's God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Here David's describing God as being powerful over all of the foibles of humanity, the fact that we tend, some of us more than others, to trip and fall down. We tend to stumble. But he says, 
God turns darkness into light for me. He takes these rocky, uneven paths and makes them level so that I don't fall. But why? Not just because David likes to hike. Why is David up on the mountains? Because David is fighting. He doesn't bend a bow of bronze because he's going for an archery medal. He's got enemies. In fact, he goes on in verse 38, I pursued my enemies and I crushed them. I didn't turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely. They could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight. And I destroyed my foes. They cried for help. But there was no one to save them to Yahweh. But He didn't answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You delivered me, O God, from the attacks of my people. And You preserved me as the head of nations. People I didn't know are subject to me. And foreigners come cringing to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. So David's enemies, both foreign and domestic, are subdued under him. And God has given him this victory. So Yahweh lives. And blessed be my rock. And may the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who avenges me. Who puts the nations under me. Who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise You, O Yahweh among the nations. I will sing praises to Your name. Yahweh gives His King great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to His anointed, to David and his descendants forever. This is a song of victory, a song of deliverance, a song of exalting in the glory and power of God, specifically as demonstrated in God's empowering His servant to defeat His enemies. But as I was reading this, it struck me that there seems to be kind of a disconnect between the story David's telling here and the story we've been reading about him. At least to some extent. See, when we look back at the story of David, and we've been here all fall, we look back at who David's enemies have been. Not all of them have been violent. At the very beginning, you could look at his family as his enemy. They stuck him off in the sheep with, with, with the sheep. Didn't take him seriously. When Samuel came and said he was going to anoint, uh, uh, anoint the next king of Israel, he fought Goliath. Yes, he was a violent man and he was a foreigner. But then we see that David spends most of the rest of 1 Samuel running away from Saul, his father-in-law. A violent man who is one of his own people. Yeah, in there we have stories of him fighting against Achish. Gath is a Philistine. Nabal, the jerk who didn't want to share his sheep with David's guys. we got the Route of the Amalekites in chapter 30. But mostly, the second half of 1 Samuel is all about David running away from Saul, that violent man. And 
in a sense, the, the theme is transposed in 2 Samuel. We find David mostly dealing with domestic foes, other pretenders to the throne at first. He has to put up with this ambitious and ruthless Joab, his general, who at one point is willing to set up his own individual power center on the other side of the Dead Sea from David. Joab who often forces David's hand as he's trying to manage his kingdom. David is fighting against family dysfunction brought on not least because of his own sin. And then as we discussed last week, David has to deal with Absalom, the ambitious young prince who who is not content simply to bump off his elder brother, but tries to take the kingdom from his father and humiliates his father in the sight of all of Israel by having his way with his father's concubines and the roof of the palace. These are all David's enemies. These are all people David fights against. These are all people that in some sense, and sometimes more thoroughly than others, David manages to defeat. But what's underneath all of this? And what David speaks of in in some of his psalms, but not really in this one, is the fact that the biggest enemy David faced, the worst of the violent men that David had to be saved from, was himself. That is to say, his unregenerate self, himself, his self in the flesh. I've been reading with a friend this book by Emil Gary. He was a priest. He, he said that all that is good in us comes from God. Only our sins and our misery are properly our own. I'll say that again. All that is good in us comes from God. The only thing that's really ours is our sins and our misery. When I look at verses 17 to 20 when David says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. I'm reminded of Psalm 65, which in the prayer book is rendered this way. Psalm 65 comes right before 66. See, because you think you don't need math when you grow up and you get a job, but actually do starts off this way, You are to be praised, O God, in Zion. To you shall vows be performed in Jerusalem. To you that hear prayer shall all flesh come because of their transgressions. Our sins are stronger than we are. But you will blot them out. The enemy that David needed to be delivered from more than any other was his own sin. His own failure. His own violence. His own lust. And he knew this. And even when he wasn't consciously expressing it, as I think is the case here in 
2 Samuel 22, he bears witness to that fact. That makes me think of the way Paul explains this in his letter to Titus. Paul says in Titus in chapter 3, he says, you know, at one time we too were foolish, we were deceived, disobedient, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Paul uses that language of slavery over and over again, describing us as having been enslaved to sin. That is to say we were in bondage to a power that was greater than what we could, what we could fight against. It was inevitable that we would be defeated, that we would be mastered. All kinds of passions and pleasures enslaved us and we we lived because of this. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of any righteous things we had done. No, He saved us because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Earlier on in Colossians, we read, Paul describes our our conundrum, our, our situation this way. He says, once we were alienated from God, we were enemies in our minds. And that was demonstrated by our evil behavior. The fact that we sin is evidence of the fact that we are alienated from God. We have become enemies of the God who made us, who loves us. But now, God, who is stronger than our sins that are stronger than we are, God has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If we continue in that faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. And this is the good news that you heard that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. See, there were times when David got this. You saw it when David was struck to the heart, when Nathan helped him to see the depth of his sin in taking another man's wife and having that man bumped off. We see this so powerfully in places like Psalm 51 where where David said, against you you only have I sinned, created me a clean heart. But often David thinks of his enemies as those guys with spears who are out there trying to find me and kill me. I think we too can deflect the way that the Spirit is convicting us of our sin by projecting that onto something else, blaming someone else. I love this picture on the cover of the bulletin, which is a riot this restaurant has on its chalkboard out front. Come in and try the worst meatball sandwich according to Ed on Yelp. (laughs) Now this is a restaurant that's confident in the quality of their meatball sandwiches and they're basically trying to make fun of Ed on Yelp for not getting that. But what if it is the worst meatball sandwich? And what if 
trying to make fun of Ed's review is just a way of deflecting, just a way of ignoring the reality that they have some work they need to do on their recipe. Now what what God calls us to is to recognize, to affirm that our sins are stronger than we are and therefore we need God's power to rescue us from them. This is the way Paul put it in his letter to the Romans. He said that we know that in everything, God works for the good of those who love Him, those who have been called according to His purpose, for those God knew, foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. So what are we going to say in response to this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? I mean, he who didn't spare his only son, but gave him, us, gave, gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all good things? So who can bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? God's after the wall, the, uh, God, after all, is the one who, who justifies, who exercises justice, who, who condemns Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble? Hardship? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? I mean, what the psalmist said, for your sake we're fa- we face death all day long. We're considered as, sleep, as, as sheep to be slaughtered. But no. No, Paul says in all of these things, against all of our enemies, foreign and domestic, human and spiritual, against the people coming at us and against our own selves that undermine our best efforts to be who God is calling us to be. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. God is a great and powerful and mighty champion over all of our enemies. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. David got glimpses of this. David experienced some of this. David also, I think, had the sense that there was something else that God was going to be about. Some, some other way God was going to be working out His purposes and demonstrating Himself to, to be mighty. Maybe David had an inkling that that could be connected to this great king that was going to come from his own household, from his own line. Maybe by the end of his life, David was simply too scarred by sin I don't know. But he knows now. And we know now. 
the way in which God ultimately demonstrated Himself to be mighty was that in Christ Jesus, He took upon Himself everything that comes against God's kingdom. He took upon Himself our sin and on the cross put to death that which otherwise would kill us. And having done that, not only did He demonstrate Himself to be victorious over sin, but God then demonstrated Himself to be victorious over death by in the power of His Spirit raising Jesus from the dead. And because of that reality, we get to live a new life. We don't have to live as slaves of sin anymore. We don't have to count sin to be an insurmountable enemy. We get to know that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the only place we're going to find it. We're not going to find it in better techniques of life management. We're not going to find it in motivational talks. We're not going to find it in improvement of any sort. We're going to find that power only in our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we confess that our sins are greater than we are, but that You are greater than our sins. And like David who called on You to deliver him when his enemies were too strong, we call on You to deliver us. For those of us who have received the forgiveness that is possible only through You who have been washed who know that rebirth and renewal, we call on You daily to transform us by Your Spirit into the people that You're making us to be. Show us when we fall into sin that that is not the end of the story, but that You are more powerful than anything that comes against us. And for anybody here who has not yet chosen to place their trust in You. Anybody here who finds herself or himself feeling helpless like David did, feeling like their enemies are too strong, I pray, Lord, that they would find You to be a strong fortress, a rock. I pray that they would place themselves in the hands of of Your powerful love. You who shake mountains and You who quiet the anxious heart. Pray that You would graciously pour Your mercy out on us in this place. Lord, have mercy on us, all sinners. Amen.